The second time, Dua nearly drowned. She was adrift in the center of a hostile sea that had just swallowed the man she loved. She was so cold she couldn't feel her feet, and so thirsty her tongue had swollen in her mouth. She was so overcome with grief that if not for the two tiny baby girls in her arms, barely alive, she would have let the sea consume her. No land was in sight. Just debris from the shipwreck, a few other survivors praying for rescue, and dozens of bloated, floating corpses. Thirteen years earlier, a small lake, rather than the vast ocean, had almost taken her. And that time, Dua's family was there to save her. She was six years old, and the only one in her family who'd refused to learn to swim. She was terrified of the water. Just the sight of it filled her with dread. During outings to the lake near their home, Dua would sit alone and watch as her sisters and cousins splashed and dove and somersaulted into the lake, cooling off from the sweltering Syrian summer heat. When they tried to coax Dua into the water, she steadfastly refused, feeling a sense of power in her resistance. Even as a small child, she was stubborn. No one can ever tell Dua what to do, her mother told everyone with a mix of pride and exasperation. Then one afternoon, Dua's teenage cousin decided that she was being silly and that it was past time for her to learn how to swim. As Dua sat obliviously drawing shapes in the dirt with her fingers and watching the others splash around, he crept up behind her, grabbed her by the waist, and lifted her up as she kicked and screamed. Ignoring her cries, he swung her up over his shoulder and carried her to the lake. Her face was pressed into his upper back, while her legs dangled just below his chest. She kicked hard against his ribcage and dug her fingernails into his head. The children laughed as Dua's cousin stretched out his arms and released her into the murky water. Dua panicked as she smacked face down into the lake. Dua was submerged only up to her chest, but she was paralyzed with fear and unable to position her legs to find footing. Rather than floating to the top, Dua submerged, gasping for air, but instead gulping water. A pair of arms pulled her out of the lake just in time, lifting her to the shore and into the comforting lap of her frightened mother. Dua coughed up all the liquid she ingested, sobbing, and vowed then and there never to go near the water again. Back then, she had nothing else in her world to fear, not when family was always around to protect her. Six-year-old Dua couldn't remember any moment when she'd ever been alone. She lived with her parents and five sisters in a single room in her grandfather's two-story house. Her father's three brothers and their families occupied the other rooms, and each moment of Dua's life was filled with relatives. She slept side by side with her sisters, ate communal meals, listened to spirited conversations. The Arzamel family lived in Dara, the largest city in the southwest of Syria, located just a few kilometers from the Jordanian border and about a two-hour drive south of Damascus. Dara sits on a volcanic plateau of rich red soil. In 2001, when Dua was six, it was famous for the bounty of fruits and vegetables the land yielded pomegranates, figs, apples, olives, and tomatoes. It was said that the produce of Dara could feed all of Syria.
Years later, in 2007, a devastating drought swept through the country, lasting for three years and forcing many farmers to abandon their fields and move with their families to cities such as Dara to seek employment. Some experts believe that this massive displacement gave rise to the ripple of discontent that in 2011 swelled into a tidal wave of protest, and then the armed uprising that would shatter Dua's life. But back in 2001, when Dua was just a little girl, Dara was a peaceful place where people went about their lives, and newfound hope was held for the future of the country. Bashar al-Assad had just succeeded his repressive father, Hafez al-Assad, as president. The people of Syria were hopeful that better times were ahead for their country, at first believing that the young president would break away from his father's oppressive policies. Bashar al-Assad and his glamorous wife were educated in England, and their marriage was seen as a merger. He, from the minority Alawite branch of Islam, and his wife Asma, like Dua's family, from the majority Sunni. His politics were secular, and hope was widespread, particularly among the Damascus-educated elite, that under his leadership, the 48-year-old emergency law his father had inherited and maintained to crush dissent would be revoked and restraints on freedom of expression would be lifted. Under the pretext of protecting national security from Islamic militants or outside rivals, the government had used the emergency powers to severely restrict individual rights and freedoms and to enable security forces to make preventative arrests with little legal recourse.